Welcome back, podcast listeners. We're here with episode 152. And Tony, this is the one that I've been trying to get into the diary for a while. And a story I think is really interesting. We were, we were sitting around a round table one day and, and sort of all talking about experiences. And we actually even talked about um, it on a previous podcast, the imposter syndrome and things like that. But we we're getting some real stories out. And, and our today's guest talked about his childhood and, and how it gave him that traveller's mentality and, and I really wanted to get him here today. So before I introduce him, I'm spewing that I don't have a can of Guinness in front of me. I just thought about it before we come in, but today, today's guest is an Irish man and Fergal Coleman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks guys, thanks a million for uh, inviting me along. Delighted to be here and hopefully I've got a few interesting things to say. So where I want to start off, and I, I want to wind it back to that round table that we we're talking about, and, and you started talking about uh, your travel experiences as a child um, mm. and, and moving abroad for that year that, that really opened you up to the world. So it will lead us along our path, but yeah. I, I, want to, I want to throw it over to you to sort of talk about your childhood, um, yeah. but to also talk about that year that you moved overseas and, yeah. and what that did to your mindset moving forward into your future. Okay, yeah, well, let's let's get into it. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Question to start. Um, look, I had a great childhood, don't get me wrong, in, in Dublin, and, and it's a great place to grow up. But it, uh, it was a middle-class childhood. Mm. Uh, and then my father, who was a civil engineer, got a job in um, the Gambia, in West Africa, uh, building a sewerage system for in a place called Banjul, which is the capital city. So we were carted over there for a year. Now, there wouldn't have been many Irish people over there at that time, would there? No, no, but mind you, uh, there's Irish people everywhere, uh, and the education system was actually run by a lot of the Irish priests, and the bishop was Irish and all this stuff. The Irish and the Lebanese are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Except in Ireland or Lebanon. Yeah, spot on, because yeah. there's a massive Lebanese business community there in a very small country. Yeah. So suddenly I went from, you know, uh, living in the south side of Dublin, the foothills of the Dublin mountains, which was lovely, to being in Africa. Now, you know, in Ireland, you'd be lucky to see a fox. (laughs) 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 Suddenly you're surrounded by just, that's the first thing that hit me was just the wildlife. And um, obviously the heat, um, you know, chameleons in in the garden, monitor lizards in the garden, you're driving, you're seeing monkeys up in the trees, there's there's crocodiles in the the river. (laughs) So this just opened my eyes. I was at an impressionable age. I was 13 years of age, um, and it just gave me, made me realise that the world is a big place beyond my little domain in 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 Dublin. And I think it, my sister lives in the States, and I think she's a year younger than me. She had the same experience. My younger brother still in Dublin. He's a lot younger. He doesn't remember much of it. Yeah. So I just think, and I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it gave us a real sense of wonder of what's out there in the world and wanting to go and explore more really yeah and so i guess fast forward a few years obviously back in dublin um and moving into your studies so you know i was interested before you've done a lot of study in in your past and we'll get through that but you started off studying business and law uh, legal studies and and that was sort of the goal you were had in mind was to move into law at that stage wasn't it uh, yes, yeah. I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably like a lot of 18, 19 year olds, I wasn't quite sure what I was doing, um, but I wasn't cut out for the law, I think, in, in simple terms. I played a lot of soccer, so I got a soccer scholarship to uh, play soccer in university. Yep. Um, so I spent probably more time playing football and drinking beer than uh, studying in, uni- in university. I think most people studying law actually play union. 
They do. Yes. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Uh, and I dabbled. I, I finished the, the, the degree. It was a four-year degree, and um, you know, half the class probably went down the legal route. A lot of my friends are lawyers. I probably had a really nice path set out for me. I've got uncles who are lawyers in Dublin, and that's kind of frightened the shit out of me. And I tie this back to Africa. Yeah. Because I could be probably wealthier and more financially successful living in Dublin probably now at this stage of my life, I reckon. Yeah. Um, but it scared the shit out of me. I, th- I thought I, I could really just go through a very comfortable life and wake up at 60 going, fuck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? What have I, what have I missed? Oh, what haven't I done? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. So I've probably taken the circuitous route. I've taken the scenic route and I've probably messed a lot of things up along the way. So but I'm I, wiser for probably now entering my 50s almost. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you, you then continued to study um, and moved on to a Master of Arts after you did the legal yeah. studies. At what point, I guess, in your journey was did that travel bug hit you and that you thought, I want something else in my life and made that decision to go? Well, I did the European studies um, and that was really around the politics. The European Union was opening up and that kind of stuff. So that quite interested me. Yep. Um, I found the the original degree, I think law is a great degree for people, don't get me wrong, because I think it teaches people to think in a really great way, a logical, thought out way, but it was pretty prescribed. The European Studies degree was great, it was interdisciplinary, so you did politics, you did economics, you did history in a European context, and we had a magnificent professor, a lady called um, Bridget Laffin. And she, once a week, she would bring in professors from all these different disciplines and she would pick a topic. And uh, she, these guys would just talk about it from all these different perspectives. And that was what, to me, what education should really be about. That really opened my eyes to, Jesus, none of these guys are wrong, but they're all disagreeing with each other because they're coming at things from different perspectives. And I think as you get older in business, you realize that all, everything's interwoven, you know. Actually, the way you describe that actually does sound like a Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, this yeah. lady was just a fabulous educator. She gave me a love of learning. Um, uh, you know, and I'd actually studied. And I, did, I actually <laughs> did pretty well in that degree. Yeah. <laughs> because I was, I, 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 my mind was stimulated to go and study it. It's interesting you make that comment of, of those different people coming with different perspectives. I, was, I told that to Tony the other day. I mm. sat on a consulting meeting and there was an array of people from all diverse backgrounds and yep. I just said it was so engaging because they all had different opinions on from a cultural perspective as well um, that they all brought to the table and it was just so engaging compared to another group that I sat with which you know maybe had similar backgrounds and you know it sort of followed the same sort of path and that's why diversity so can be so powerful in, in businesses yeah. in, in any organisation so the other thing that that degree did it was the first time I couldn't use a computer I'm in the computer industry I couldn't use a computer <laughs> at that stage but we the internet was opening up yeah. so I did a lot of my research on the internet and that just blew my mind the internet what the internet was going to be and this was like with the old almost dial up obviously dial ups and Alta Vista and you know the old basic web pages yeah. but the explosion of information really kind of blew my mind so don't I kind of developed have to run an interest. Through the books in the library and try to find that. Yeah, certain all that stuff. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so from there, I finished a degree. I was still playing like professional football, um, and I was playing down in the west of Ireland. So I went down to play down there, and got a job with the guy who funded the the guy who funded the soccer club um, in a computer company. 
which was a, uh, at the time it was Compaq, reselling Compaq. I was a systems admin or I can't remember, database administrator in there. And again, exposed to the internet. Did that for a year and then kind of the mate back in Ireland who was selling, or in Dublin, who was selling computer components. We had a beer one night and we thought, geez, we could sell this stuff online. <laughs> and yeah. Always wanted to go out and do my own thing. Yeah. And myself and another guy just took the leap and hadn't a clue what we were doing, but neither did anyone else back in the day. The internet, this was 96, 97. Yep. So that's pretty early to be selling anything online. Uh, so we Amazon, did that for, Amazon started in 94? Around then, yeah, yeah not, okay. not, far, not yeah. Far, far before that. Yeah. So you couldn't get a payment facility yeah. in Ireland at the sta that stage. So we had to go to Paris to get a, uh, a payment facility, and it didn't work. And it was, right. we were getting, we thought we were, we hit the jackpot, we were getting all these payments coming through to post restante addresses for computer components that were getting passed by the bank, which of course were just guys who were picking them up in post offices. And, uh, so just nobody knew what was going on. There was no security. The, the banks had no idea what the internet meant. We didn't know what we were doing. Business models hadn't been worked out, internet business models yep. hadn't really been worked out then. Um, so we raised a bit of money, we, we built this business up, blew the money in um, 2001, obviously it was the dot-com crash. Um, we survived for a few more months and then kind of folded and I went travelling. So I was almost 30 then, I'd played a lot of football, which is one thing that I'd wanted to do, kind of played at the highest level in, in Ireland, which has ticked my box in terms of... Um, probably as good as I could go in terms of my talent um, I'm, and ended up traveling. I, there was a bit of a jobs lull and I said if I don't get a job in three months I'm taking off and saw a job advertising South Korea and just went for it just to do something different. So and no, it, no thought of the country you wanted to go to you just seen the job and that was where decided where you were going to? Well I traveled down to Australia and I'd been down to America and Europe uh, but I'd always wanted to live somewhere totally different maybe it was the African coming back to the yeah. African thing um, and I, if I didn't do it then, I, I wasn't going to do it. So, as He's I said, like I take you know, my mates thought I was daft. Obviously, what's he doing? You yeah. know, going teaching English. I didn't care. I was going to do it for a year, clear my mind, and come back. Yeah, you know, my mind. I was going to come back to Ireland and start again, with something new. So you were teaching English over teaching English to. Um, yeah, to university people and business people, so, you know, people start studying for their SATs to get into universities in the States and, and Australia, actually. And then business guys coming in who worked for Samsung or LG because the, the lingua franca was, was English, basically, which was a great experience. I, could, I did it for a year. I, yeah, I got bored of it probably after the year, but in terms of the... Um, the experience of living in a new culture was just great. I don't regret a, a minute of it. So that brings you back back to Ireland at that point? No. No? I, uh, so I met my wife uh, just before I left Ireland, who was a Kiwi, and we stayed in contact, Claire and I, and um, she came over to see me in, in Korea a couple of times, and I'd, I'd been down to a wedding in New Zealand, and I just said, look, what, what are we going to do? Um, can't continue like this. I said I'd come down to Melbourne for a year, and give it a crack and see how it goes. 
whatever just coming up on 20 years this year actually it's been a good year uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so 20 years uh, family and you know a house and a business and uh, a new life i suppose yeah so i guess when you come to australia that's when you dive back into your studies um and yeah. study at the university of melbourne we're doing a master's of business and it yeah. um I guess using your background in what you'd worked and, and built, um, you yeah. decided to further your studies in that regard. Yeah. I think if we go back to imposter syndrome, uh, you know, I needed to get a grounding or felt I needed to get a grounding. I was 30 then. Yeah. Um, and it gave me a lot of confidence. As I was going in and you're, you know, I hadn't studied in a few years, you've been taught this stuff, and I'm going, Jesus, this is way, yeah. I knew how to observe what people were teaching you, and I knew how to distill the best things out of, I think, university. So they were still, test, you know, this was whatever, maybe it was 15 years ago. And the business model was still, you know, Dell, which <laughs> was 20 yeah. years old. Yeah. And I'm going, well, geez, I'm well on top of what's happening now with whoever it was, or Amazon, or Uber coming on stream, or Facebook, but I can't remember who it was. And going, yeah. God, this stuff's outdated. You know, I, don't, I know this, but it gives you good fr uh, frameworks. The masters give people good frameworks. And, and again, if we go back to law, I think helps people to think. I think masters studies give you good frameworks to think in and logically solve problems. And I found that very valuable, more yeah. than anything else, probably. So before we get to your current um, business and what you're doing at the moment, um, you led as a strategy director for another consulting company in Australia, is that correct? Oh, well, I've, I've always had my... I have my own business, yeah, so yeah. Look, I, was, I suppose I was an independent consultant for a while, um, and really just doing digital strategies for people. Um, everything from small consultancies who needed a website, kind of fell into social media as it was, as it was starting out, and teaching people how to use Facebook and Twitter and in the government space, so yeah. that's how I kind of got in. One of our sectors is, is local government. so. Arguably, we were the first company or the, I was the first consultant to help kind of local government start using Facebook and Twitter with the city of Kingston years ago, built some frameworks out around security and management and that did the rounds. The learning there was it didn't leave any trailing revenue and, um, you know, we, um, you live and learn, you're consultants. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's informed what we do now in the business in terms of building a platform business. Sounds like my job in here. I teach Tony how to use Twitter and then I take him off Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this was a new tool, a very empowering tool at the time. And, you know, everyone thought this was going to open up democracy and um, everybody had to be honest. So quite exciting, actually, to go into Social media as a tool really helped energise a lot of buildings at the time. Yeah. It's interesting because um, from a social media perspective, I originally joined Facebook because mm. my sister was sick to death of stalking my children on Facebook and she said, you can just do it yourself. Uh, yeah. So th that's actually originally why I joined Facebook. Now, I do know I use Facebook far more than my children do nowadays because they use other platforms yeah. or whatever the case is. Uh, but LinkedIn is actually one that I remember seeing the futurist Craig Rispin just after, probably about three years after LinkedIn had been launched. And we've actually done, we had Craig as our futurist a couple of years ago uh, for a weekend as mm. a result. And actually it, it triggered me where he actually got me involved in LinkedIn. So this was probably three years after it's launched and I've used it quite a lot in business now. Yeah, uh, as do I. I'm yeah. listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about, you know, social media and how we use and the metaverse mm. and one guy was arguing arguably we are living virtual lives yeah 
So, you know, you're looking at my LinkedIn profile, but you'll, you'll look at somebody's LinkedIn profile before you meet them. Oh, yeah. So, argue, you know, you're conducting a relationship with that person's avatar, if you want to call yeah, it that yeah. word, before you've actually met them. Yeah. So, we're not, it's not that we're not living in the virtual world. We, we kind of are. <laughs> we're just we swap, gradually... We're swapping left or right to go on a date, yeah, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, we're starting to get more and more embedded no. in it and immersed in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's I find that quite interesting. From a, you know, once AI starts coming on on stream, you you wonder where that'll go. Fergal, though, I still think you and I are the generation where we actually had to smile at someone in a bar to go and say hello and ask man a date, not just swipe right or left. So I think yeah. we're, I think we're a lot harder people as a result of I think all yeah. the rejection. But we particularly you and me having to do rounds around yeah. the bar, <laughs> yeah. fifty, sixty, seventy times. <laughs> all the rejection we've had in our life has yeah. just made us harder than these young people. Yeah. <laughs> and look, one of, people go, COVID's great that everything's gone online, but COVID's also taught us how important sitting here we're doing this face to face yeah and we're smiling at each other and it's uh, there's a much deeper connection than if we were smiling at each other over a zoom over a, over a zoom call couldn't agree more and we, we did a few zooms over that period of time yeah. where we, you, we started face to face and zoom and it's just not the same connection we even in respect to the round table that we're involved in together correct the, yeah you know, the, the zoom it was it was good to have people involved but the face to face meetings just were magnificent yeah, I mean, we got a lot more out of them. Correct, mm. and the tr I think that the trust that gener was generated in those meetings relative to the online stuff was just Absolutely. chalk and cheese in terms of the difference and and how people um, opened up. Yeah, because of the body language, I suppose, and all those cues that you don't even notice. Yeah, yeah. You subconsciously only notice. Yeah. So moving on to your current business, Symphony Three. How did you, 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 you come up with that name, actually? Uh, well, music symphony. Uh, you know, all the instruments are okay if one's playing one on its own and nobody's listening, but when they're all playing and they're not connected and integrated, it makes a cacophony. Yeah. Um, so that's actually where it came from, yeah. So symphonies getting everything working together and singing and humming, I suppose. Well, and you need Jamie, a conductor. Makes you bring Jamie to the opera for the first time tonight for him. Oh, wonderful. Yes, yeah, so oh, yeah. it's... Uh, I told him today that I appreciate the gesture of purchasing the ticket and I'll give it my best to enjoy it. That's, that's well, we have a young marketing. Uh, <laughs> my business partner Philip uh, has his son works in the business with us part time, so two days a week he's marketing at Symphony Three, but for the rest of the time he's studying to be an opera singer. Oh wow! So uh, he's chasing his dream. That's I still haven't got him to sing for us, but um, mm. so okay. it lends itself to the to the name of the company. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. So you were born out of, I guess. You know your past and, and the learnings that you've had and, and that strategy. Mm. What is the sort of core business function that you have at the moment, um, and how are you helping people? Yeah, well, we talk about delivering simple, connected customer experiences uh, in, in simple terms, and that's you know automating experiences and automating systems, and also delivering better customer experiences, which is what it's all about. So the customer comes first. Um, there's four things we think you need to do in a business, every business needs to do. Number one, you need a plan. We call that a smart roadmap. And you know, really, we should sit down business beforehand and work that out, do a bit of a gap analysis, whatever you want to call it. Get a plan and a roadmap of what they need to do. Secondly, connect your systems. So I don't know how technical we want to go, but you know, every modern system these days should have APIs that can be connected. Yeah. So connect your systems. That means they can talk to each other. Automation, you've got efficiencies, you're, you're getting rid of manual handling. 
so that, that elimination of waste, speeding up processes, all that stuff comes into play. Once you've done that, you can then connect your customers to your systems via portals, yeah. uh, which obviously drives a better customer experience, end-to-end -end systems. Where, so even in the, we play a lot in the B2B space, you know, customers expect to be able to conduct the relationship digitally with every business nowadays. Yeah. And we think that's a portal. It could be a full website, it might be a login where they can go in and they can reorder product or they can you know, see what services they've consumed. You can't do that unless you've done step two, which is connect your systems. You can't do it properly. And then step, uh, so that's step three. Step four is um, we should connect your management to information. So if you've connected all your systems, you can then pull out the information and you can present it on dashboards. So obviously their management have got better visibility of what's going on in their business. Uh, they can make better decisions. And that's you know that's simplification. It's probably what everybody's trying to do, but that's 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 what we do for our for our for our businesses. And I think it's important. We we've been through this process mm -hmm. ourselves as a business over many years. Um, tried different things, and you know some have failed, some have succeeded. But we're on a really good journey right now. I think we've been forward thinking in the way that we wanted to use best of breed, and we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Um, sometimes people, I think, in our industry, get caught up in well, this is the software you have to use because that's what we've always used and that's you know where we need to be. But uh, I think the future and, and what you're already doing is best of breed technology. If I find something that's really good and I want to bring to my customers, I want to use it. But yeah. I want it to be able to use with everything else that I'm using. So you've got obviously cloud, you've got APIs, um, they're two of the key drivers that allow you to stick these systems together. Open source, we play a lot with open source tools. So you've talked about trial, trial and failure. So fail and fail fast. So yep. we're very big on prototyping. Build a minimum viable product. So you guys could come to me and go, Fergal, we want whatever system, a CRM system. You really don't know what you want. You think you know what you want. So how are you going to write up a scope and a brief to deliver that? Yeah. So we, our opinion is build something and then give it back to the customer to trial and play with. And normally we can build, we think we can build 80%. We kind of know 80% of what they need. Yeah. yeah. And then finalize the, 20, the final 20%. It's a far better way than going out to market for a full-blown system that you don't really know what's in it or what you require. And that 20% essentially is always... It's never completed that 20% because realistically you're always trying to keep building and doing of course. something better. Mm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But you know, that's a really good way to minimise risk as well, even yeah. for bigger systems because you know, most ERP implementations statistically don't do if they fail, you know? Yeah. And that's because people go for a big bang build. So the simple, you know, you can talk about agile and lean and all the jargon, but really it's about trying before you try before you buy yeah. and touching and being tactile with the software get the users using it, get user feedback. That's really, really important. And it's difficult in some industries to get that across because they're not set up to do that. So public sector, tenders. So they're going out, they'll go out for full tenders. That doesn't really allow too much for prototyping. So the systems have to change and the culture has to change a little bit. How I think as, in, as a sector. Yeah. How do you stay out with so much 
modern technology and I think things are being built every day. How, how do you personally stay up as much uh, as you possibly well, can? Well, I've got a good business partner who's much more practical than me. You know, <laughs> he slaps me around the head and <laughs> tells me to focus on core business, yeah. which we've done a lot more. So integration is big. The integrate. We talk about glue. Yeah. So that st- step where we talk connect your systems, we talk about having smart glue. To me, that's a fundamental thing that you need in your business that will enable everything else. So, you know, I'd love to dabble in AI. We haven't really, we, we, but we connect to AI systems. Yeah. So that we, we, we need to be aware of this stuff. We need to know the implications. We need to know the use cases for them, but we don't necessarily sell, sell those things. Figure and there's best of breed systems that will do that. Why would we go and build it if there's something Correct. that we can buy in the cloud that does it better? I was going to ask that question. How many times do you go and see a new client where, I mean, it's linked, we go back to LinkedIn as the example, somebody reaches out, you connect with them, and within half a millisecond, you've got a personal message from them, telling, and they're telling us what they can do to improve our business. And it's, it's not personalised. Yeah. Uh, the AI has taken our name and put it in there and what yeah, you yeah, do, and, yeah. and then basically it's a case of they will be the godsend to our business. When you go and see a client for the first time, how much of what they've already got can you actually utilise? So, because one of the things I like about what you mm. do, uh, to be to be frank, yeah. uh, is that you're not going in there with this is our box and we're going to fit you into our box. Yeah. You're there going and saying, show us your box, and then from there, okay, probably we could actually probably utilise 50, 60, 70% of what you actually got, but we're going to make a talk with each other and we're going to bring these other things in to help you achieve what you actually want. So that's actually one of the things I love about what you do is that you're not going there and saying, this is our thing that we sell and we're going to Mm. squeeze you into this. So how many clients would you see where a lot of what they've got is actually good, but it's probably held together by you know, elastic bands and sticky tape rather than actually what you can do to bring it all together and actually make it all work and talk with each other. You know, it's a generalisation, but most clients are doing, you know, clients aren't stupid. Our clients are generally traditional businesses that have been around for a long time. Yeah. They're doing something right. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And you've got to respect that. Possibly what they've tried to do is, and they'll have a core system that often will be working pretty well. Yeah. Often it's when they try and extend those systems because they've been sold the, the, the Kool-Aid that they, that they, um, that they get, get problems. Yeah. Um, the second thing is that they might have a number of different systems that don't speak to each other. So that drives the shadow IT. It drives spreadsheets uh, sitting all over the business because they just haven't integrated the systems and they're trying to move data from one system to the other. Yeah. The best example is like your small businesses. You talked about Mailchimp. Um, so one of the ones I always observe in the smallest businesses, just to, to kind of clarify the example, I suppose, is uh, so let's take a not-for-profit that's got a membership organization. They'll have one system for memberships, they'll have one system for the events, and they'll have one system for that they'll use Mailchimp. And whenever they want to pull information into one system, they've got to go to the other two and collate the systems, because just because they haven't connected them together. Yeah. Um, and that means they're using spreadsheets everywhere, and it means that they've, uh, they've got errors everywhere, generally speaking, and it normally means that they've got really pissed off clients who've said, I've, I've unsubscribed from your newsletter 20 times and just keep <laughs> sending me the newsletter. Yeah. Oh, that's because it was in another unsubscribe. Oh, that was in another account. Yeah. Typical. 
That actually did happen to us once. Yeah, that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> it, happens. Oh, yeah, it happens to us too. It's, yeah. a diff- it's, it's you know, it, it does happen. Um, but that extrapolate that out over bigger, bigger businesses that don't have connected data and you find you've just got bigger mess. And you've got, you know, you've got big organizations um, that are running, you know, yeah. run, running national, national sales on spreadsheets because yeah, yeah. they don't trust their ERP or their CRM or whatever it might be. I yeah. won't give you an example here, but yeah, a, a yeah. big you, food company where we did some work years ago, a business partner, they sell yogurts, so you can narrow it down pretty quickly. Yeah. But you know, the distribution across Australia was run from a spreadsheet by two ladies with you know, all kinds of V lookups and yeah, <laughs> whatever, yeah. you know? So um, it's, it's not just the, the small businesses that are having these challenges. And it comes, a lot of it comes down to the same thing. So connecting up the data, connecting the systems. Obviously, you've got to have your processes right. You've got to have people trained. So you know, we have a maturity assessment that we run with our clients around uh, their digital maturity. Technology is one strand, you know, but we've got five others. So strategy, customers in there, internal stakeholders, data and metrics, and uh, I think automation is the other one we've factored in. And you've got to have those ducks lined up to move across to pure proper digital transformation. One of the dot points you, you spoke of there was the data um, and reporting. Yeah. What I find intriguing, and I'd love to hear from you some conversations you've had with clients, I think sometimes we don't know what data we want and what data we want reported. And you're creating dashboards. Do you help guide businesses through what data that they should be looking at and what trends they should be looking for? Or is that sort of driven by the business? Well, yeah. We'd fancy ourselves that we're wise enough now to be able to speak to the business owners and 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 look at the business outcomes they want first. Yeah. So you're right. You know, we we go in a place. We've got Power BI. Yeah, but what's it delivering? It's delivering wonderful reports. Nobody can understand these reports. Yeah. <laughs> because they're just too detailed. Because yeah. they're developed by boffins like me. So actually, the dashboards we do, and we've simplified what we've done. We talk about traffic light systems, and we talk about management by exception. So we've got a capital works dashboard that we put into our government clients. And really what it does is for a CEO who can go through the 50 or 100 or 150 projects that are running, and he can very quickly see with a red traffic light (laughs) what's not working so that he can hone in and he can solve that problem. Yeah. He doesn't need anything more. Yeah. And if he wants, so we'll pull that out onto a dashboard and then we'll integrate into the main system. If he wants to delve into the detail, go back into that core system. But he doesn't need it, all the information on that dashboard. He needs the information he needs to make a quick decision or to know who he needs to focus on to get the problem solved. Because I'm, I'm actually working on building that at the moment in, in really drilling down into the key information that I want. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a good exercise to go through because it's you know, what are the metrics that are going to drive the business forward? Um, yeah. And how do you go back to find your data sets around that? So, you know, it's been good sort of taking that backward step again to, to look across what we've done and go, okay, what do we need moving forward? Um, and finding those in a simplistic way yeah. that I can put in front of Tony to say, here it is, this is what it looks like. I've been kind of looking at some of the lean uh, manufacturing stuff with visual management and kind of taking some of the cues from that. You know, you go into a factory that runs lean and they just have visual cues. Dashboard really should be as simplified as that. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. I was um, speaking at a conference in Sydney yesterday, 
and one of the presenters before me and they brought up and said and here's what we do and here's how we do this this is for the financial yep. services industry and accounting firms and and he then put up this dashboard and here's all this information come I looked at the dashboard and I'm scratching my head saying we own a fairly large firm and I wouldn't know what 90% of that stuff that you've just put up there mm. has any relevance whatsoever in respect yep. to our firm it just looked big complicated and look at all these pie charts and everything else. Yeah. I was scratching my head saying, I just want to know what that plus that should equal that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, and and that's because it's developed by people like me who <laughs> see the shiny things and yeah. I can do this and I can do that. And you know, well, that was the beauty of, you know, Steve Jobs, your classic, he just minimized everything. Yeah. What, what do people actually want? Yeah. What does a manager, what does a CEO actually want yeah. in a dashboard? Yep. So no, that's kind of where we've, increasingly gone with our dashboards. And Jamie's, I think, from me telling that story, is just happy that I haven't come back and seen some 19 said, you should see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not interested. <laughs> not yeah. doing that. No, you're not giving me another headache. But I had yeah. lots of pretty pretty things for me to look at. So yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I just looked at it and it just confused me. And it was just like, for, for somebody who runs a business, they ha- probably 80% of the stuff that was on that slide had absolutely no relevance mm. whatsoever to the businesses that he's pitching to. Yeah, I mean, you deal with probably more businesses than me, and but the really good business owners that I've met over the years seem to have great clarity on their business. Yeah. And every, great clarity around their strategy. They'll have great clarity around the information they want as well. Yeah. Because that allows them to make better decisions. Yeah. But I'm also assuming, though, Fergal, that, and it is an assumption, but we've had many conversations, mm. you know, as we've formed this uh, friendship. But the, if, if you can actually have the information that you require at your fingertips, yeah. and you can have all your systems talking to, to each other, yeah. I'm assuming the whole idea of that is to make your business more efficient. If the business is more efficient, uh, it's adding to the bottom line. It's adding yeah. to the top line and adding to the bottom line. Yeah. Correct? So, yeah. And realistically, as a business owner, if I can have everything more efficient and the bottom line is healthier, then I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of boils down to those. So things. it doesn't matter whether it's a more efficiency. I want more sales. I want yep. more increased profitability. So it doesn't matter whether we're a financial services mm-hmm. business or whether we sell tea towels or whether we yep. have an excavation business. It's actually more about understanding what you do is understanding the business, help put that glue together, smart glue. Yep. I think is what you call yep. it. Yeah. Bringing that together and then saying is this the outcome that you want? And I think yeah. it goes back to what I was saying earlier. You're not saying, here's our box, we'll fit you into it. That's right. Yeah, you're actually saying, tell us what you need and then we'll work and bring that together based on some of what you have. Yes. So that's it, as is, absolutely spot on. I think you yeah. know, articulated it is probably better than I do. Um, there's probably one other thing I'll add to that. People that will I'll like hearing your accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing I'll, um, I'll add to that that I think is important in today's environment with the smart glue, so we also use the analogy of Lego blocks. Yeah. I'm mean, able to build things once you've had your core Lego blocks. Now, in today's uh, business environment, you need to be innovative and you need to be fast moving. Now, if, you can, if you've got your Lego blocks and you can reassemble your IT quickly, you can respond quicker to changes in the marketplace. Yeah. You can add on new systems, you can add on new services, you can combine services. Um, and I think that's quite powerful as well people miss that when it comes to the innovation. Can I ask then the next question is that if uh, if a company has a head of IT 
Yeah. And you come in and you show them simple things that they're not doing that they should be doing. <laughs> Are you potentially a, you know, well, yes. can, can that person, okay. So you know what I'm coming, does so that So we're person, a threat. We can be obviously perceived as a threat. Yeah. And one of the key things to try and get So somebody wants to IT keep their manager. job, but hasn't been doing their job. Or hasn't necessarily seen the breadth of this, other things that are out there. You know, you think of how fast technology is moving and how disruptive it is. Mm. Nobody has been disrupted more than the IT department themselves. Yeah. So we go into businesses where you've, if you've got IT managers who've been there for, you know, 20 years or 10 years, they've come in there as box and wires guys to fix the network, to make sure nothing can get in and into the network or get out of the network. And, you know, in the last 15 years, you've just had cloud properly come on stream. You know, the, the, their data is not sitting in, in that room anymore. Their data is sitting on the cloud everywhere. And they need to be aware of everywhere their data is sitting and everywhere their customers' data is sitting. Yeah. Um, connecting your computer is not an issue anymore. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just, you, it's throw, you throw, throw away your hardware. Yeah. Um, so their skills have not moved on. So you've got this, um, you know, IT guys are just challenged with things are so disruptive. Yeah. I heard a stat, we ran a webinar with um, a, a guy a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he talked about the pace of change. He said, Amazon are moving that quickly that the online training that they put up for their AWS cloud is, uh, it's obsolete after a week. <laughs> it's no longer relevant. They've already made changes to the software within a week. I don't know how true that is, but wouldn't surprise me. It sounds worse than dealing with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah. just constantly innovating, constantly moving. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we, so we want to be the IT guy, we want to be the friends of the IT managers because we need to be able to keep up and it's very yeah. difficult. So yeah. basically if you're, what you put in today, the system that you put in today which is absolutely exactly what that client wants and starts running smoothly and everything's going is realistically a year's time that might be 10% different than 15% different and 20 because be. because technology changes so what you're doing is you're saying let us do all that and come back to you when we think that's going to happen rather than you having to research it because you're still worried about your boxes and wires yeah and, and, and people want flexibility so you know simple let's go to accounting you know today it's my ob if, if they've got the glue, they can put in Myob. If suddenly zero comes out and zero is better, zero is cheaper, they can just plug it into the system. They can plug and play. And that gives them flexibility to plug and play. And suddenly if tomorrow another better system comes along that does one unique point of finance, whether it be payroll or something else, they should be able to plug that in just as easily. Yeah. Uh, we're just the facilitator. We're just the conductor of the symphony that's playing all the, in getting the, all the instruments to play together. Yep. Love that. Fergal, thank you very much for your time today. Sincerely no appreciate you coming in. Um, and we definitely have to have that Guinness soon. Yes, uh, I'll bring you down to the Drunken Poet Lads for a few points. That's a, that's a promise. Not a problem. <laughs> uh, we, will, we will put all your links and everything onto this podcast as well, uh, Fergal. So if we have people that want to reach out to you, it'll be wonderful. Great. And I appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk to you guys. It's been a pleasure. I love your story. Thanks. Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do 
cannot take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Pond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the host of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.